0: The marketing talent that is available in the US is quite deep and you have people who have experience with uh, marketing this kind of technology for decades now. So that kind of ecosystem is not available in India, but if you look at uh, the technology side in India, we have great talent to build things up from here. A lot of Marketing and sales can also happen from here. But there are few selected roles for hard to find talent in India because you need people who are uh, experienced in the technology. SaaS ecosystem in itself is new in India. In order to really bridge that gap, we end up hiring people in the geographies outside India as well.
1: Hi, wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the Daily Tech Conversation, where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs, CXOs, and investors. I'm Hari Rakli, and in this episode, Manish Jatani, co-founder and CEO of Hivo Data, talks about what drove him to jump back into entrepreneurship about two years after selling his first venture to what was then Groffers. With about 43 million dollars in funding so far from investors, including Sequoia, Qualgro and Chirte, Manish and his friend Saurabh Agarwal are close to $10 million in ARR today at their no-code software platform company that helps businesses to quickly build the pathways they need to pull data from different sources together. Manish also talks about the tech talent that's available in India's nascent SaaS ecosystem and some of the experience that's still missing. Thank you so much for making time on a Saturday. I really appreciate it. Okay. Uh, can you start by telling us a bit about uh, how you guys came to start uh, HEO Data? I mean, I know this is not your first startup. And I, I saw that you had I think, a couple of years overlap with Saurabh as well. I mean, is that how you guys met? And maybe give me a snapshot of uh, your work before you started Hevo.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Hivo happens to be uh, my second startup. <laughs> and uh, so, Saurabh and I were doing another startup, which was called Spoonjoy. Uh, it was a venture backed startup. Uh, we were into the uh, hyperlocal logistics play where we were trying to build some kind of. So, this is pre Uber era uh, or pre Dunzo era where you would, uh, I mean, So the idea was that if you want to send anything from you to someone else or get something picked to somewhere else, uh, it should be as simple as like sending an email. So if today, if you want to send an email, you can quickly send an email and the the person receives it. And we were like, how many information is traveling over the internet? Can we have something like that in the real world where you can actually have the physical stuff travel from anywhere to anywhere? Mm. That was the original idea with which we started. And, and then we got acquisition. So the, the technology that we built was quite amazing. Uh, and at that point in time, a lot of e commerce companies wanted to get um, delivery to the customer in hours, not days. Earlier, really it used to be that you order something on Amazon and it used to come in three to five days. Now, at that stage, all the e-commerce companies were trying to do it, deliver it in like few hours. You want an iPhone, you will get it delivered in two hours. You want medicines, you will get it delivered in one hour. And the technology that we were building enabled people to order food in 30 minutes. So it was very well set up. And we got a lot of interest from uh, various companies like Flipkart, Grofers, Snapdeal. And we ended up selling the company to grow first. Mm. Um, and I was heading the product over there to start with. And my co-founder Sara, was leading the engineering as we went along. And uh, during the phase, it was always like, and we were very, very comfortable in that journey. For the first time we were working in in a very such a large company and it was very comfortable life but something didn't really sit well with me I was very unhappy that oh I'm not like I mean at some stage you get addicted to solving problems (laughs) you want to like wake up every day and you want to go and solve some problems and not sit and relax uh, and wait for things to happen and it was quite hard for me to live, live a comfortable life I wanted that uh, a situation where every day you wake up and you want to go and solve some problems. So I said that probably the kind of satisfaction I'm looking forward to could only come if I am an entrepreneur and I wanted to go back and do the startup again.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting thing that happened in that phase was that uh, my daughter then was three months old. Okay. And there was a lot of advice to me from my well wishes, parents, in-laws that, hey, you are having a very comfortable life. Why do you want to really go back to doing a startup and you know how challenging it, it can become at times? why not have just a great life with your kid and spend time? Uh, maybe this is not a good time to do a startup. And I actually got convinced with that advice. But that conviction only lasted for 48 hours because it was not my conviction. So on Friday night, I told to my wife that yeah, looks like what everyone is saying is right, and it's not a good time to do the startup. I slept over it over the weekend. On Sunday night, I told to my wife that you know what, I don't think I agree with this advice. I would just not be happy if I am not doing a startup. If I have to be happy in life. I have to go and do and build something and with respect to the personal side of things I can promise you that I will strike a good balance between what my work demands and what my personal life demands but if I don't do this I will be very unhappy and an unhappy person cannot make other people happy so no matter how much of a time I give at home if I'm not fully energized then you won't enjoy that journey either so mm-hmm. now the idea was that we got to go and start a startup. But now this time around the pressure was very high because you're taking something very important. And like to me, um, ambition is one side, but people is like far, far ahead in my priority list. So I did not want to let down my family for me choosing to chase my dreams. So I said to myself that, look, if I'm doing this startup, it, it has to be meaningful And I started to think very deeply that why do I really, really want to do a startup? Is it because I want money? Is it because I enjoy the fame or it is something else? Like I started having those very deeper conversations just with myself. And uh, I said, if it were for about money, I could have like taken more venture money into my startup and continue being the CEO of that startup. Or I could have just continued in my last role where I was uh, in a very comfortable position in a very uh, strong leadership role. So it was very clear to me that money had no motivation for me. I mean, I didn't upgrade my lifestyle after since I graduated. I still buy very inexpensive clothes. I drive a small car. So the drivers in the lives are very different. Like, I mean, all the things that... Um, indicator social status doesn't really excite me and I'm a little inward looking person so I don't like being in limelight so anytime someone will like praise me or appreciate me I feel highly uncomfortable (laughs) it was clearly not like a fame that I'm trying to chase so then the purpose has to be much deeper and uh, to me I started thinking a lot and I said that let's assume that Financially, it will not be um, a great success. I will have to put a lot of personal sacrifice to it. Even then, what is that one problem that I truly care about solving in the world? Right. Let's assume that most people can't really have uh, too many things that they have impacted and that will make the life so much better even after they are gone from the world. So what if I were to just pick one problem? And spend my entire life solving that problem so that even long after I'm gone from this world, it can have an impact on people. That was my yardstick on what problem I wanted to solve. And that really made me feel that I will not be excited solving some, building some gaming app or building some um, e-commerce thing or something similar. It had to have larger purpose and meaning for me. So that I am feeling that I'm having a fulfilling life, Uh, whether the company is a billion dollar company or a million dollar company doesn't matter. But I need to have satisfaction uh, for having spent my time in life on things that I truly care about. Mm -hmm. I started to think about it as what what are those problems? I spent three months figuring out that actually there are no such things that I so much care about. I'm like very flexible with everything around. Then I started to think other way around. Okay, what are the problems that really bother me, that really irritate me? How about I solving one of those problems? Hmm. And it so turned out that I learned that every time someone is making a decisions, which is not very informed and thought through decision, that where they've considered everything and they are making an informed choice. Every time someone is making that decision, I really feel unhappy about it because i feel that if they can get if if they are making a decision that is not good for them is there a way we can prevent them from making a bad decision for themselves it's almost like how you see that um when kids make certain mistakes you don't want them to make some small mistake and get themselves hurt uh right you you caution them around that oh don't do this be safe so to me it was very clear that when people were making decisions and those decisions were not thought through I felt that I should go and help them make right decisions and after a lot of analysis I figured that like how do you actually like this was a very unique insight because it really resonated well with me so every time someone is making a decision I want to be of help to them uh, in getting the decision right but I said that How do you go and build a startup out of it? This this doesn't seem like a startup idea. And then it took me another couple of months to figure it out that whenever you make any decision, if you have all the information that you need to make that decision available to you at the right time, you're so much more informed about um, making that decision rather than trying to guess that what is the right answer? What if someone could give you all the information that you need which you can trust to make the decision. And I said, okay, let's go ahead and solve this problem because that really felt like that eureka moment in the life that you found the purpose. Mm. And as we went along, we figured that while you make the informed decision, all the data and the information that is required to make the decision needs to be easily accessible to people so that they can really make the decisions the right way. And that was our genesis of starting with Hemo. And this time around, it was not about, oh, will this be a big company? Or will I be able to raise venture round or not? Will it be like um, exciting for external people to say that? Wow, what a great thing you are building. But this time around, it was all internal purpose that do we align to this purpose? Can we spend another 20 years of our life to solving one problem? And that's how the journey of Hivo started.
1: Okay. 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 Now, so so now, uh, today, tell me about Hivo uh, data. I uh, understand what you're building is more like a platform, right? And uh, so today uh, on a day-to-day basis, uh, what does it do? Uh, how do your customers use it?
0: Yeah. So um, our customers are uh, the companies who want to make decisions using data. So if you see every company today is using a lot of softwares uh, to run their business. And for example, finance team will have one set of softwares. Sales team will have another set of softwares. Uh, Marketing team will have another set of softwares. But now the information about their customers, about their business processes is, is lying in all these different softwares. And today if anyone wants to really understand what is happening to their customers, what is happening in their business, um, they really do not have one single place where they can find all the information that they need. Because all these information is lying in these different softwares and these different softwares don't talk to each other. So you need some kind of connecting way that. You can connect all these different softwares and have all the data at one place so that anytime someone needs to find an answer to a question that they have, they can look at just one place and they can find all the data. So that's what the vision has been that how do we really make the data accessible? Because when the data is in different systems, it is not accessible. But if we really centralize the data at one place, then everyone knows where to look for every data and they can access that data. Uh, within that central place. And the software that we build is it's it's the kind of a connecting road of sorts between the central place to all the different softwares that people have. And the central place is uh, typically a data warehouse, um, which companies use internally. And then there are different set of softwares that they would have the likes of, say, Salesforce, uh, Facebook ads, Google ads, Um, uh, helpdesk software like Zendesk. So what we provide is more like a road which connects all these different softwares to a central storage which is the data warehouse. Uh, And that's what uh, we offer. Now what we are doing is not something new. I mean there are companies who have existed for a few decades who have been trying to solve this problem of connecting all these different systems. But What we realized was that those companies were built for only very large enterprises where they will have like 50 to 100 engineers who can uh, operate all these complex systems to move the data into the central place. And that only means that only very uh, big and large companies can afford to use this solution. But our idea was that if this is actually so essential, why should it be so complex that only few small number of companies which are very large in size can use this? Why can't everyone use it? Like, Why can't we really make it accessible to every individual who wants to make decisions with data use this? Um, for that to happen the solution had to be a lot more simpler. For example, if you see uh, today our parents are using internet on smartphone they are clicking photos they are sending to their friends, family, they can make online payment. All of this is possible because the uh, product, which is the smartphone has been made so simple that today anyone can use it. Imagine that if our parents had to go and learn how to operate a PC or a MacBook, most of them would not have been able to learn all the complex stuff and they would have never truly experience the uh, power of your internet that how on internet you can do so many different things. So how a smartphone really made this thing accessible to everyone. We felt that could we build a technology which solves the same problems which today large companies are solving but any company whether they are small or mid-size or large can use it without having to have um, a very large team which is Um, uh, which is very um, technically savvy to be able to operate this system. So the idea was that let's make it accessible to everyone and make it so simple that anyone should be able to use it. Um, That's what uh, the product does.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. Typically, what's sort of the size of the company that uses your platform? Since you said you want to make it more accessible for smaller teams as well, I'm thinking a one person IT team can also use your product.
0: Absolutely. We've seen, and this came as a surprise to us. We thought that maybe 100 members all would use it, and very small, like 10, 15 member teams, will not use it. But to our surprise, that these days, companies as small as like 20, 30 people want to use data to make decisions. And mm-hmm. because they don't have large teams, they can use go to. Uh, really quickly go and solve their problems without having to hire too many people. Having said that, even the larger companies who have got thousands of employees, even they don't want to hire more people to go and build all these systems and maintain these systems. If it is available to them, uh, which is much more reliable, much more cost-effective, then they see no reason to go and build these things on their own because something better is already available in the market at a fraction of cost. Um, so we've seen uh, companies as small as 20-member company to as large as say 10,000-member uh, company using our product. But if you look at the sweet spot, I think companies who are in the size of 500 to um, 3,000, 4,000, roughly that's the range in which we see a majority of our customers uh, uh, deriving value out of us.
1: mm mm-hmm. And is this all cloud-based? I mean, the business model, is it, is that like a SaaS company?
0: Uh, it's a 100% cloud-based solution. Uh, users need not install anything on their system because if you uh, go back to my previous premise, it was around the simplicity. And if they have to go install it, then they need a lot more technical competency. Yeah. So we are fully on cloud uh, and we are multi-cloud. So whether... The customers is on Amazon's cloud or is on Google's cloud or is on Azure cloud. They can uh, still use us without having to worry about anything. Like that And uh, the elegance of the solution is that from the time someone signs up, within, let's say, 10 to 15 minutes, they are able to set up everything and it starts to work on, the, on its own. They don't have to spend like weeks and months to go and implement something. Which is what the traditional solutions require them to do that. So, from that perspective, it's a huge difference in how customers are experiencing mm. uh, the solution and how quickly it makes them mm. successful.
1: Mm. So, uh, your platform is it also called Hevo? Yes. Okay. So, are you also a little bit like a, a no code, low, low code platform where people can kind of custom build the different data pathways that they want or the data pipelines that they want.
0: Yes, no code is at the very core of it. Now, having said that we do offer both interfaces, the code interface and the no code interfaces, okay. um, when the customers are at an early stage of using the product, they start with a no code hmm. and after they have experienced the product. If they want to do more advanced things. Then they can also use the code-based system, which is which is not used by all customers, but highly advanced customers, if they have a use case, they can use code-based uh, interface as well.
1: Mm-hmm. So among the larger enterprises where you said they have thousands of members using, any well-known names that you can talk about who are your customers?
0: Example, if you see customers like Swiggy in India or customers mm-hmm. like PureFit in India or... Customers like DoorDash uh, in US or there are customers like Philips in global market. Uh, so these are some of the customers uh, with big names who are using the solution like ours.
1: Mm-hmm. Overall, uh, how many customers do you already have? And collectively, have you looked at all those customers? How many end consumers would they account for?
0: So if you look at uh, the total number of companies who are using our product, that number will be close to 2000 companies. OK, Um, and out of them, more than 1000 customers are paying customers. So we have a free tier as well. So that okay. when the use case is not very large and they are just getting started. So we want it to be easy for them to get started. So we also have a free plan. Okay. Um, So the total number of companies, if I were to summarize this, is 2,000 and paying customers will be more than 1,000. And these customers are spread across 40-plus countries. Uh, The US happens to be our largest market. But if you look at the spread, it is more than 40-plus countries.
1: Mm -hmm. So in the SaaS model, uh, with companies like yours, uh, how do you guys figure out the pricing? Is it like a per user per month type of thing or, or is it based on the volume of data they transact and how does it work
0: so in our case the value that customer derives is based on the volume of the data so if they are connecting more uh, types of sources or different types of sources where the data is residing and they want to bring that data so the uh, excess of pricing for us is the volume of the data or the number of records that they are moving from one system to the other, okay. and uh, so that is what we call it consumption-based pricing, okay. which is based on the number of events. So events is more like a record that moves into the end destination. That is how Hivo uh, charges its customers.
1: Mm-hmm. So with a thousand paying customers, uh, I mean are you guys also doing very well as a business now and making significant revenue?
0: Yes, so we have seen a very diverse kind of customer uh, profiles. It is not only tech companies or only startups so we have a uh, quite a widespread of the type of customers who are using our product.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean can you give us a sense of where you are at in terms of your revenue?
0: I think we are close to about 10 million in ARR.
1: very nice so that was for 2022 calendar roughly
0: no so this is as of we speak okay um, we are a little short of 10 not exactly 10 little short of 10 Hmm. Um, so that's where the journey has been the good part is that um, uh, over past few years we've doubled our revenue every year
1: oh okay okay so are you expecting through 2023 to continue that kind of growth rate
0: i mean things look so far very optimistic Okay. Uh, given the value that we are delivering to the customers but sure there are macro factors we which all of us are trying to see that how the market is going to play because yeah. uh, if you see what we've seen in last uh, 12 to 24 months mm. uh, and the market is the public market is correcting a bit and mm. it is likely to have some impact on uh, the uh, private market as well the companies as well so um, for anyone to really know what 2023 uh, is going to be like is a little bit of a guesswork. But as we are into the first quarter of it, things look positive and they're starting to look better uh, with each subsequent month this is how we've seen internally based on uh, our customer acquisition. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. I mean, at this at this level, are you guys profitable as well? Is it or... Are you putting the money back into building your team and product development and things like that?
0: Since it's a very R&D focused uh, company where we have to keep innovating for our customers, we have to keep building new things for our customers. Um, so we end up, and thankfully, we are also venture-backed. So that gives us the option to invest upfront on the technology side so that, uh, and technology takes a while to build it. it sometimes takes. Mm-hmm couple of years to build something. Mm. Uh, So if you want to sell something, you have to build it way before. So we are front-loading a lot of investments on building uh, so that at the right stage we can take it to the market.
1: Mm. Overall today, how many people in your company?
0: I think we are about close to 200 odd people in the company.
1: And and all of your R&D product development gets done out of India, Bangalore, uh, And I would imagine in the US, if you expanded your team, would you look at more in terms of a go to market?
0: Mostly yes. I mean, few things to keep in mind that the marketing talent that is available in the US is quite deep, and you have Mm. people who have experience with uh, marketing this kind of technology for decades now. So that kind of ecosystem is not available in India. But if you look at um, the technology side, in India, we have great talent to build things up from here. A um, lot of um, marketing and sales can also happen from here. But there are a few selected uh, roles for which it. it's hard to find talent in India because you need people who are uh, experienced in the technology. SaaS ecosystem in itself is new in India.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: so. In order to really bridge that gap, we end up hiring people uh, in the geographies outside India as well.
1: So these are senior marketing folks, uh, typically, I mean, like upwards of 15 years of experience in selling to large enterprises and all that.
0: Yes, yes. And sometimes, uh, like, for example, we recently hired our head of product in the US. Uh And uh, the individual comes with like 20 plus years of experience in this domain alone. Um, Which which gives us some unfair advantage because now we have someone who is so experienced that uh, all the problems that we may have not seen so far, but likely to see in future. Now we have someone in the team who can foresee these problems and um, uh, so that we can be very well prepared on how to avoid those problems and start working towards a solution uh, from an early stage. Mm
1: -hmm. Is there also a lack of awareness in the Indian market amongst your potential customers? I mean, even though there are large conglomerates and big companies, uh, typically the the sense one gets is that SaaS companies out of India, even with very good products, uh, prefer to sell in the US or generally the uh, Western economies. Um, what's what's your take on this?
0: Broadly, what you're saying is actually true. The market maturity is not as evolved. Uh, in India ecosystem but having said that there are few sectors and segments where the awareness is as high as it is for the US. Uh So if you look at all the new age technology companies they are using actually the same best-in-class solution that anyone in any economy is using. Um, For example like I mean in India we have so many developers. And these developers are using the same tools as the in San Francisco is using. Mm. So in those segments, if you're selling the product, it is, you don't face a challenge of awareing, awareness of the uh, solution within the target segment. But if you're selling something where the, the ecosystem is not fully evolved, then obviously the U.S. Uh, economy or some of the other developed economy, uh, they have much more ready market for companies to sell into, compared to trying to educate to the customers in India and then trying to sell
1: them. Uh, I mean, in your own case, uh, I mean, if you're willing to talk about it, uh, would would India be like what, 2-3% of your overall revenues or even less or a little it higher? Less than 10%. Less than 10%. Mm-hmm. And I, I would imagine the US would be upwards of 60-70% of your revenue
0: spot on it is, okay. it is actually uh, more than 60 percent
1: okay mm-hmm. and is the generally true of the entire SaaS uh, sort of sector in India I mean people typically would be getting I don't know two thirds of their revenues at least out of the U.S.
0: Uh, actually no mm-hmm. because the uh, U.S. is a very very competitive market mm-hmm. so if your timing in the market is not right uh, with respect to taking the solution offering, uh, then it becomes a challenge because it's a very competitive market. A lot of it, It's a market that everyone wants to sell into. Uh-huh. And if you are really not right from a timing perspective, and if you are not amongst the top two or three solutions in the market, then it is very hard to penetrate in that market. So I've okay. seen a lot of SaaS companies being focused on in India, historically have been focused on um, the India and APAC and European market, not as much in the US. But there are a few companies um, like say BrowserStack or Freshworks or um, uh, Postman. These companies have very heavily focused on the US. So uh, the first generation of SaaS companies, if I would say, a majority of them would have focused on non-US. But now we are starting to see that more and more companies being focused on US and also being successful.
1: I mean, can you give me one or two examples when you say first generation of companies? What do you mean by that?
0: I mean, if you look at Capillary, uh, so uh, companies such as Capillary are highly successful in India and Asian market and the Middle East market, not so much in the US market.
1: Okay. Um, Got it. Anything else that that you want to talk about? I mean, one other standard question I have is uh, you all raised, uh, I think, what, $43 million. Are there further funding plans? Uh, Do you need uh, more VC money?
0: We don't need. In fact, the good part is that every round that we raised, we never needed that money. Ah. And we actually never went out to raise the money. We always got some interest inbound and uh, then those conversations Went further because we like people. So, I think with respect to capital, our philosophy is that operate business like there is no external capital, focus on customers' revenue mm-hmm. so that you can build a very steady business uh, and not build a business assuming that there is plenty of capital available. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it comes from the um, uh, personality type of the founders as well. And we are sort of like very um, maybe call it old school, but very focused on that. How do we really create more value for the customer and charge the right amount from the customers and not really like, um, uh, keep doing things that are not adding value to the customer. And we are just, uh, wasting our resources on that.
1: Mm-hmm. So over the next 12 months, um, what are, what are your sort of top priorities?
0: So one of the uh, there are two key priorities that we are focusing on as we are starting. We are seeing a lot of uh, interest from the larger companies as well, trying to use our product. And uh, now larger companies have high expectations, and we are orienting ourselves to uh, take our uh, offering to the next level to be able to serve the expectations of the customers with very high expectation. So that is uh, a lot of focus that we are uh, at this point in time putting forward to that Um, and the second aspect is just around the team building aspect Um, so continuing to build great team people who are aligned to the mission who are not really looking at as a job but looking at as as a place where they can do something that hasn't been done before so historically, if you see these kind of products who are not being created from India to the world,
1: yeah,
0: and there are now people who want to go and do it for the first time, they want to be people who want to say that, hey, you know what, I know this hasn't been done from here, but let's give it a shot. So young, optimistic people who want to go and do things that hasn't been done before, I think bringing some of those people on board and continue to bringing those people on board is has been like the core focus area for us all along Um, and because we believe that uh, like the way as a company what we're trying to do hasn't been done before Uh, similarly there are people who haven't got the opportunity to go and truly express themselves and doing great stuff if we can be a place where which gives people the opportunity to uh, express themselves and do things which are, which are beyond their reach today, but they can potentially do that if they try hard. So that's the place we want to be.
1: Very nice, Manish. Uh, thank you for giving me a chance to learn more about your company. Uh, really enjoyed this conversation. Definitely hope to keep the conversation going.
0: Thanks Hari, it was a pleasure speaking with you and I truly really, uh, like our conversation and I must say that you've been
1: a very patient listener. That's it for this conversation. I hope you found it interesting. You can find all our podcasts at ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast app. I'm Hari Arukali. Thank you for listening.